Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. I'm Christine, your host. We are so glad you are here and our hope is that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue with our series, The Detox. Here's Christine Gershom. Hi church, as you noticed, we have started a brand new series called Detox. Um, the biblical uh, basis for this new series is taken from the book of Acts chapter 17 verse 30. Let me just read that for you. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Um, in the past few weeks, I've been reading the book of Acts as part of my daily Bible reading. And when this verse came to me, it really stood out because the whole world is in a state of pause. Um, all of us have a lot of time to contemplate things, plan for our futures, think about our presence. And um, so therefore, it really felt like God was speaking about this particular time in history when all of us are in a similar state of just being suspended in midair, as it were. And so I want to encourage you that as we step into this new series, um, this is not us lecturing you. This is each of us allowing the truth of God's word to shine a light on parts of our life that have been long hidden that have probably uh, stayed in the dark for very long. But we're just going to really allow God to shine a light on those places and bring us to repentance, each one of us. It's a very intimate thing. It's a very private thing. We understand that. And therefore, we want to step into the season of the detox, allowing the Holy Spirit to detox us as only He can. Father, I just pray that even as we get into your word, you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will convict us, that we will experience Jesus on a whole new level. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So why do I liken repentance to a spiritual detox? As you know, there are a bunch of juices and drinks that are now caught people's attention as detox drinks. What they do is basically they cleanse the liver of all our toxins and uh, restore metabolic health, restore gut health. There are so many benefits. Spiritually, how do we detox? Over time, all of us have accumulated um, deep-seated biases, uh, emotions that are not correct, ungodly opinions on things. And eventually they cause scars of sin in our life. It's only with the Holy Spirit's help, as we were looking at over the past four weeks, you know, where the wind, the Holy Spirit's wind comes in and cleanses us. But when he cleanses us, there has to be an attitude of repentance that comes out of us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And why is it called a detox? Let's look at what the word actually means. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for repentance was shub or nakam, which meant to turn back to. All the prophets, that was the message of every single prophet. They were saying, turn back to God, turn back to God. And so they were saying, repent. They were telling the people of Israel, come back to God. But in the New Testament, the word changed. The word repentance changed. It changed into a word called metanoio. What that means is there has to be a heart change, a mind change, a change in the inner man. And also interestingly, in the New Testament, this word metanoia is linked to salvation. It doesn't exist on its own. So there are two things we must remember about repentance, even as we get into this series. One is that all of us are sinners. I hope you agree with me. Every single one of us are sinners. These are such big words, I realize. Sinners, repentance. These are huge words, words that most of us despise and dislike. But the, the fact of the matter is this, all of us are sinners. So sin is a condition. Therefore, our repentance is not a one-off thing. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. The next thing is that repentance is God, one of God's greatest gifts to us. Imagine we have this 
heavenly father who we really can't see and we don't know what he expects of us we don't know what hurts him we don't know what pleases him we would live in a state of complete um a uh, lack of knowledge but here is this god who sends us his son and then after his son returns to him he sends us his spirit who convicts us of sin who shows us where we are wrong and therefore repentance is one of god's great gifts to us it shows us just how much he loves us i was recently i'm um, having an argument with my oldest son and he's now taller than me so he thinks he can intimidate me which doesn't work but we were having this argument and at the end of the argument all i said was this we both raised our voices and then i told him son you can't disrespect me like that i'm your mother there's certain things you cannot uh, you know cross the line on and i just walked out of the room 2 hours later he came to me because he needed something out of me um and he was lingering around me but i was not up for really talking at that point neither was he he didn't want to make amends and there was this weird tension after about 1 hour following that 1 hour later he came up to me and said mom i'm sorry i'm sorry that i disrespected you i'm sorry i spoke back to you uh, that was not right and immediately we we mended that we mended the rift and we were okay with each other and i sometimes think that you know god is so loving he he's not even like me i have my ups and downs my children but god is so kind the minute we say lord i'm sorry he just comes back and envelops us in his love that's who god is that's what repentance looks like it is a direct link to the father's heart the minute we repent he loves on us he just cares for us so much he pulls us into his embrace i want us to look at revelation chapter 3 verse 19 in the amplified it says this those whom i dearly and tenderly love i rebuke and discipline showing them their faults and instructing them so be enthusiastic and repent change your inner self your old way of thinking your sinful behavior seek god's way like i was saying it is an evidence of how much god loves us when we repent it brings us back to the father so just because we sin doesn't mean we cease being god's children when my children you know um, upset me or or hurt me they don't cease being my children we just lose the joy of that relationship for a short time the minute they repent or they they ask me you know that they say i'm sorry the relationship is restored and that's the same thing with sin repentance brings us back to god like i was also saying in the new testament metanoia the word for repentance is also linked to salvation and that's what we're going to be emphasizing on today we're going to look at 2 corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 from the amplified it says this for godly sorrow that is in accord with the will of god produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation but worldly sorrow the hopeless sorrow of those who do not believe produces death if you look at this passage there are two ways of living our christian life we can live this whole life of us without any godly sorrow therefore it will not beget repentance it will only beget death we could have worldly sorrow which is filled with guilt and regret and it could lead to death when we talk about death we are talking about eternal death but if we live a life in godly sorrow it will breed repentance and repentance leads to salvation so that's what this this passage is talking about and when i was thinking about it i realized that from the new testament from jesus's inner circle there are two guys who exemplified this who exemplified a life based on one of godly sorrow and one of worldly sorrow we're going to look at judas judas was an explicit example of having worldly sorrow he betrays jesus and then he goes back to the temple priest the guys who the very guys who employed him to betray jesus and says i did a horrible mistake 
And when he says that, the priest said, what do we care? Your job's done. And so Judas walks away, throws those 30 pieces of silver and kills himself. Such a sad ending to what could have been a great story. It could have been a great testimony of him turning around. He gave up hope. He was filled with regret. He was filled with sorrow. The other example, godly sorrow, which breeds repentance. And the example for that is of the apostle Peter. Think about it. This guy was so close to Jesus, yet when the moment required him to step up, he denied Jesus and shrunk into a corner. And the beauty of it is it says that after Peter realized what he did, when that rooster crowed, it said Peter went out and wept bitterly in repentance. That's what the Amplified says. There was a true repentance. He felt horrible for what he did. It didn't just end there. He went, came back to Jesus. And we'll get into that in a bit. So to reiterate, we can live our lives with godly sorrow, which will lead to repentance and eventually to salvation. Or we could live our lives with worldly sorrow, filled with regret, guilt, shame, none of which are what God wants for us. And that eventually leads to death. That's what that spiritual death, eternal death. But I want to leave us with something different. How do we live a healthy lifestyle of repentance? Since we're on this topic of detox, how do we live a healthy lifestyle of repentance? Why do I see a lifestyle of repentance? Because like I said, sin is a condition. Repentance is ongoing. But what we could easily get confused about is we could start living in self-condemnation. We could start thinking I'm not good enough. A lot of us already struggle with feelings like that. So that's not what we want to head down. That's not the road we want to head down. We want to head down a road where the cross is our focus, where the gospel of Jesus reveals the truth to us. And that happens when these two things happen. First thing is when we are more aware of our sinfulness, when we become more and more aware of our sinfulness. And secondly, when we become more and more aware of God's holiness. Now, you may ask me, so what is God getting holier by the day? No. God is unchanging. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today and forever, which means God's holiness is the same. He is the ancient of days. He's beyond and outside of time. Therefore, his holiness has not diminished. But as we get into the word, once we are saved, once we accept him as Lord and Savior, hopefully we are getting into the word of God. And when we do that, we get to know him more and more and more. And then we see when we read the entirety of the scripture, you, you start from Genesis and you go right up to Revelation, you see what a holy and righteous God he is. So our understanding of his holiness only increases. His holiness stays the same, but our understanding of it should grow. Secondly, as we get into the word of God, we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we see just how sinful we are. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we're getting more and more sinful as the days go by? No, because we know now when we are saved that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, that he has done everything on the cross for us. We are sanctified. But we realize that we are truly steeped in sin. There are sinful habits. There are sinful attitudes. There are deep-seated biases, family-related issues that have caused deep sin patterns in our life. And that's what we need to address in our repentance. So it's not like we're going to get sinful by the day. It's we're going to, we are actually going to be addressing the deep-seated sin issues in our own lives. Each of us will have different patterns. Each of us have different struggles. But the Lord wants to work on each of us individually as if we're the only person in the world. Now, in a perfect world, we would be able to grow in our awareness of our sinfulness. And we would also grow in, in an awareness of God's holiness. It would be a perfect balance. We'll, we'll be able to figure everything out. But we don't live in a perfect world. So what happens to distort this is this. Sometimes we tend to minimize our own sinfulness. 
we tend to overlook our sinfulness. We, we give excuses for our sinfulness. And as a result, we become pretending Christians. We become Christians who say, you know what, my sin is not such a big deal. I and mean, there are worse things happening out there. You know how much of good I have done? This sinfulness is nothing in the light of all that. We tend to uh, spin the truth on our own lives. And that's a problem. When we don't look at our sinfulness through the lens of the Bible, with the, with the Holy Spirit shining a light on ourselves, we will minimize our sinfulness. And that's a terrible thing. It's a very scary place to be. And the other problem is when we look at God's holiness as something that we cannot match up to. It's something totally unattainable. I can never make this God happy. And so what happens is we start to try and do better. We try to strive. We try to make ourselves uh, more polished, more accomplished. We, we want to earn God's favor. And that's also a problem because God has done everything for us. When he looks at you and me, he doesn't look at us through the lens of performance. He doesn't want us to be the best performer in the room. He wants us to be ourselves because he's already done everything. We are pre-approved. We are completely approved. He looks at us with the greatest delight. That's what the Bible says. When he looks at us, he looks at us with delight. So by us striving, we're actually negating all that he has already done for us. So those are two problems. We could, instead of living in that beautiful tension of knowing just how sinful we are and knowing how holy God is, we could completely distort it and minimize the sin in our lives. Or we could strive towards getting God's approval. I think for those of us in India, we struggle with this because throughout our lives, we are judged based on our performance. If we study well, we're noticed in class. If we perform well, we're noticed in, in extracurricular activities. Our, uh, maybe your parents were those kinds who said, you know what, if you do really well, we'll be so proud of you. And so we always feel we have to win someone's approval. But God's saying, hey, today, I don't want that. I want you. I love you. I delight in you. You are the apple of my eye. So nothing we do is going to earn us extra credits in heaven. He loves us as we are. That's the bottom line. So I want to look at these two kinds of Christians, which all of us at some point have fallen into, continually falling into. Are you a pretending Christian or are you a performing Christian? It's very, very complex sometimes to think about where we fall into, which category we fall into. Looking at Judas's life, I want us to look at John chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. And this is a very familiar passage of something that Jesus encountered. It was extravagant worship at its best. And yet there was this small black mark that came on that moment. Let's read it. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 6 in the Amplified. Six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. So they gave a supper for him there. Martha was serving and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was going to betray him said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, for he had never cared about them, but because he was a thief and since he had the money box serving as treasurer for the 12 disciples, he used to pilfer what was put into it. A pretending Christian, if you and I were to come under this category, what we would do is we would think we are better than we really are. We will not be able to confront our actual sinfulness. So we would gloss over it. We would say, 
you know what, compared to that person, I'm way better. I'm in a way better place. You may think that you're blessed currently because of certain things you did right in your life. You may think it's because of certain decisions and choices you made that you are so blessed. It may make you look at others differently because you feel my sins are way less in magnitude compared to what others commit. The sad thing is when you're a pretending Christian, when you and I come under this category, we actually look for our righteousness in sources other than Christ. And that's a very, dis- very, very disheartening thing because he is the only source for our righteousness. The Bible says that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If anything, our righteousness is like filthy rags. But it's the righteousness of Christ that makes us worthy to stand before God. And so a pretending Christian, just like a Judas, at that moment, Judas was acting as if what Mary did was wasteful, when in reality, he was the thief. I still don't understand why Judas was stealing from within the Son of God's inner circle. I mean, wouldn't he have figured out that the Son of God would know what he was doing? I don't know. Jesus knew the intentions of Judas's heart from the beginning. Judas knew who he really was, but he couldn't confront it. He never called it out. And so he spent his time pretending he was something else. And eventually that sin which was undealt with, it started out with petty thievery, just stealing a little bit from the money box. It led to the biggest sin of his life. I want to ask us to really look inside ourselves today and see where are we pretending? Where are we pretending our sin is not a big deal? Sometimes we, we say the meanest things and then we say, I was just joking. But God and you know that that was not said in jest. That was probably meaning something heavier. Maybe we have spoken ill about someone and then glossed it over saying, I had to tell the truth about them. We have a beautiful way of sanctifying the most unsanctifiable things as believers. But today, can we look deeper? Can we look deeper and say, Lord, where am I pretending? Help me to call out my sin as sin and not disguise it and clothe it under something else. Let me not be a spin doctor spinning the truth on who I really am. Because ultimately, this exercise is not about self-condemnation. We don't want ourselves to be condemned because that's not what Jesus had in mind. He wants us to be able to call sin out in our lives. He wants us to be able to say, Lord, this is who I am. There are parts of me that are so dark, it scares me. I need you. First thing, pretending Christian. The second type of believer is a performing Christian. You look at Peter. Um, Peter did amazing things. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and after that, one of the most powerful apostles. Um, But if you look at him when Jesus was on earth, he was a floundering Christian, just like most of us. He had his struggles. He had his high moments. He had his low moments. Um, And I was looking at specifically one passage, and I want to read that for you. Matthew 14, verses 25 to 31, and verse 33 in the Amplified. And in the fourth watch of the night, which is 3 to 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately he spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter replied to him, Lord, if it is really you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the effects of the wind, he was frightened and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus extended his hand and caught him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Then those in the boat worshipped him with awe-inspired reverence, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
this passage has been preached on so much because a lot of times we've had to look at it through the lens of stepping out of the boats of our comfort into unknown territory, uncharted spaces. But I was looking at it in a different angle because um, I'm the kind who will not volunteer my services for anything. I, Growing up, I would rather just be invisible in the classroom. Um, Peter is the definition of an enthu cutlet. He needed to put his hand up for everything. He had to always say something. You look at the four gospels, one of the most quoted disciples was Peter. He was always ready to say something. He he had an opinion on most things, um, which I think is very sweet. But in this in this case, it all I've, I've started wondering what the other 11 disciples were doing. They were seated in that boat while Peter stepped out. And I think about it, I would have been one of those 11 who just sat there content that the winds and the waves were calming down content that my Lord was walking towards me. I would have not wanted to take the risk of trying this, you know, water treading business because after all, he was a son of God. He created the, the winds and the waves. This was nothing to him. I would have been completely happy sitting in the boat. But here was Peter doing this extra bit. You see consistently in, in the Gospels, Peter doing that little extra bit. For example, Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. He comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't do this, you cannot be a part of me. And then he says, fine, okay, then you wash my whole body. And then Jesus has to tell him, those who had a bath are already clean. Some of you here are not clean. He was talking with Judas. But for those of you who are clean, it's enough if I clean your feet. You see what Peter is always operating in an extreme. There's another time where Jesus is talking to them about his death. And he says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. And G and Peter swears almost and says, no, Lord, I will never, I will die for you. And he says, no, Peter, you're not going to die for me. You're going to deny me. So there's always this element to Peter where he tries really hard. He's always pushing the limits. And while that could be taken as extra love for his uh, master, there's also an element of needing to perform a little bit more to shine out amidst the 12 that were around Jesus. And I want to ask you and me today, a lot of us, like I said, we Indians have this tendency, we need to perform well, we need to be the best at what we do. Are we doing that in our walk with God? If I were to ask you to close your eyes right now and imagine what God's expression towards you at this very moment is, what would you say? When you close your eyes, do you look at God as a grimacing, angry man? Or do you see him as a father who's just delighting in you, who looks at you with the greatest pride and joy? Based on what you responded, you'll know where your stance on God lies. The truth is, he delights in you. You don't have to do anything extra to earn his love. His love is available. It's all for you. He loves you and me like we're the only people in the world. That's the truth of it. So performing Christian gets caught up in striving and doing more to win God's approval. And the truth is that it comes out of a place of a, a big insecurity at God's holiness. We look at God and say, God, you're God. You're so holy. You're so righteous. I can't match up. I can't come even near you, Lord. So therefore, I'll lower your standards of holiness to something I can achieve, which in itself is wrong because his holiness is beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. So we cannot lower his standards to make it something that you and I can meet. We cannot lower God's holiness to a set of requirements because that's not how he operates. So if we want to avoid the trap of becoming performing Christians, performing believers, those who just do it for the sake of earning a smile on God's face, you and I are mistaken. We cannot do that. He already delights in us. 
He wants us to come to him as we are. So if I had to really boil it down to this, each of us who are watching this right now can identify that we are either struggling in the throes of performing for God or maybe pretending before God because we somehow assume God doesn't know certain parts of my life. Or if I excuse away my behavior, maybe, you know, God will understand. The truth is he does understand. He knows we're human. He knows we're frail. But yet he wants us to be honest about it. He wants us to say, Lord, this is who I am. He also doesn't want us to strive to meet his standards. Instead, he wants us to rest in the fact that he has done the work for us. There's nothing you and I need to do to earn his approval. Everything was done by Christ on the cross. We are approved. We are set apart. We are chosen. We are loved. If I was then to ask you, so why choose to walk in repentance? Why must I look deeper into myself? Why must I repent? Why must I come back to God? I think there's just one word I would use. It would be love. Do you love God? We know he loves us. We've been talking about how much he loves us. This holy God loves us so deeply. But I want to ask you, how much do you love him? When Jesus reinstates Peter in the end of the Gospels, it talks about how Jesus reinstates Peter to his old position as apostle. But he doesn't end it there. He just doesn't say, you know what, Peter, I make you an apostle again. No, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the Hebrew, it's actually the word agape. He's asking me, do you love me to that extent? And Peter repeatedly replies, Lord, you know I love you. But Peter is replying on a different plane. He's saying the word that he uses for love is filio. It's for brothers. Our love, the, the extent of our love may never match God's love for us. But he's asking us today, do you love me? Because if we love God, we would come before him in repentance. Think about it. Any relationship on earth between a husband and a wife, when we truly love our spouse, when we mess up, when we, when we do something we shouldn't have, we come before them and say, I'm really sorry. You repent, right? Similarly with our children, sometimes we parents have to repent before our children. It's not the only, it's not the other way around always. When we love someone, saying sorry comes easily. Similarly, when we love Jesus, when we love God, our repentance just becomes something that is natural to us. I want to look at Psalm chapter 51 verses 11 to 12. It talks about an important aspect of repentance. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David is most worried that he will lose the joy of your salvation. So if today you're thinking that your sins have taken your salvation experience away, no, you are still saved, but you have probably lost the joy of your salvation. Because the relationship with this loving father is a bit strained right now because of unconfessed sin, because of deep-seated sin. But can you take this time to say, Lord, give me back the joy of my salvation. I repent. I repent of these things. I want the joy of your salvation. So I want to ask you, how deep is your love for God? Because that depth of that love will determine how ready we are to repent. If, we, if our love for him is very conditional, our repentance also be very reluctant. But I want to ask you, how deep is your love for him? Because that will determine how ready you are to repent. For the longest time I know in my life, I've repented because of the fear of consequences or, uh, you know, this hidden motive of, you know, needing some pending blessing from God. You know, I would think that, oh, because I didn't repent, that particular blessing is being withheld. And weird ideas like that. 
but it's only after meditating on this this thought of repentance that my repentance has to be based on my love for god that because i love him so much i don't want this relationship to be strained i don't want to hurt his heart i want to come back to him i want to come back to the heart of god i still want that special place in his heart i don't want to lose out on what we both share that should be my motivation and that's changed me understanding that perfect love casts out fear that's what the bible says in 1 john so i want to ask you today are you ready to spend some time in just quiet repentance this is not a public affair it is not something for everyone to see if you feel like doing this with your spouse it's perfectly fine you can do that but can i ask you if you would just kneel down in your house right now take a minute we're going to ask the lord to reveal areas in our life which need repentance lord if i've been pretending or i've been performing i ask that you will reveal it to me and i repent lord on the face of it i repent for what i've been doing for glossing over my sin for pretending my sin doesn't exist or like it's not a big deal lord forgive me when i've thought i should strive to earn your approval when lord you delight in me and you love me so much i am loved so you may you may be a believer for many years or a new believer and you might think i've already asked the lord into my life i asked jesus to be the lord and savior of my life i thought once i'm saved and forever saved why repentance why is it so important um let me just read second corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 to you it says but we have this precious treasure the good news about salvation in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power will be shown to be from god his sufficiency and not from ourselves you and i we are frail humans and god understands that and through jesus we have victory over sin so it's not like we're going to succumb under the weight of sin now that we know him he's going to give us victory but a prerequisite to that is repentance we must walk in ongoing repentance that's what gives us a victorious life so i want to ask you are you ready for a spiritual detox at this moment will you say i need that detox lord i have so much that's weighing me down i want a detox can i pray with you right now father in heaven i just pray for those who are struggling under the weight of unconfessed sin sin patterns attitudes ideas that are breaking their backs lord breaking their hearts setting their minds back we just pray that lord you will bring to mind all that has to come back to our minds and that lord we will find complete and total forgiveness in you we thank you for your word lord in 1 john 1:9 which says If you confess your sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness anything and everything you will forgive lord if we would repent and so i pray that each of us lord will move into a, a posture of repentance over this next month that lord we will allow your word to shine a light on the darkest places of our lives holy spirit bring in revelation bring in insight guide us into all righteousness guide us into all truth we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen if you are saying i need jesus i feel like my life doesn't have purpose doesn't have direction there's a huge void in my life i think only jesus can fill it i'll tell you this only jesus can fill that void only jesus can come in and change things for you who is jesus jesus is the son of god sent by god himself to earth to save humanity because on our own 
left to our own devices there was no hope jesus is the hope for all mankind he came to earth walked the earth healed people did good and then he was crucified killed buried and on the third day he rose again in his resurrection he finally conquered death and sin he gave us victory once and for all today you and i can walk in that victory you and i can walk in that finished work knowing that jesus has done everything for us all we have to do is call on the name of jesus confess our sins and be saved that's all we have to do if you are in that place can i ask you to repeat this prayer after me dear lord i come before you and acknowledge that i am a sinner i ask that you will forgive me of every sin that i have committed i thank you for your son jesus i invite him into my heart and ask that jesus be the lord and savior of my life jesus i ask that you will move in my life that you will help me live a powerful and victorious life i thank you and i praise you in jesus name i pray amen amen thanks for listening to this message we hope you were blessed to hear more messages like this make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes if you like what you are hearing consider rating us subscribing and even sharing it with friends that would really help us for more content from we are zion and to connect with us go to weazion.in remember whoever finds jesus finds life